0: The text this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's kind of awkward to see. so I, They kind of see my backside, and then now you get to see my backside. Anyway, the text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, and I'd like to encourage us with it. I don't know how many of you have done a zip line before. Just raise your hand if you've ever done a zip line. Well, basically, for those of you who don't know what a zip line is, it's a big that that is, uh, is attached to someplace high on a hill, in this case, um, high on a tree, and then the lower end of the cable is attached to another tree, and you attach a nice uh, pulley to it with a rope that goes down to a harness, and the whole idea is that you rip down this cable uh, really fast, and it's a thrill. Well, I had my very first experience about nine days ago of going down a, a zip line, and it was, uh, it was with a group of, of my, my my son's friends. And um, my my first responsibility was to catch these young kids as they came down the zip line, because... A lot of times they would turn around and they'd find their body dragging on the ground when you got to the low end of the zip line. And uh, after they all went through twice, uh, the lady who was putting on the zip line activity asked me if I'd like to go. And I said, sure. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of heights. I like to rock, climb, and repel, so I didn't think it'd be that big of a deal. So I got up on top of the, the uh, platform up on the tree and I looked over the edge and, uh, and then I looked at the ropes that they were using. Again, keep in mind, it's a pulley with a rope attached to a harness. So the only thing that's keeping you from doing a swan dive into the valley is a rope. And I looked at the ropes, and the ropes looked like they had, they had baked in the sun for about 10 years. Um, that is, they were completely bleached out, and the, uh, the ropes and the knots were frayed. And I was thinking to myself, these have seen better days. And uh, to make matters worse, I I have my own climbing ropes. I know how to take care of them, and I know what they look like when they're not good. And so I was thinking to myself, I really don't want to go down this zip line connected to me, to that cable with this fraying, bleached-out rope. So I asked the lady, I said, uh, do you really think that'll hold me? Because we've been shooting 70, 80-pound kids down this thing, but here's a guy that weighs over 200 pounds. And she assured me, she said, no, I I know it'll it'll hold you up um, because we have them tested every year. Now, to be perfectly honest, I probably would have walked back down the ladder off of the platform if I could, but I knew my son would think I was a total pansy. And so I said, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to take these ladies' word for it. And I kind of... Um, Carefully gingerly let myself off the platform and sure enough I zip down no swan dive into the valley and I realized it would hold my weight And it uh, it increased my confidence in the rope and as a result. I went down a second time this time I had a little bit more fun Now that experience for me of learning to trust in this fraying bleached out rope um, embodies a truth of scripture um, That I think is very important for us and that is that our faith is nurtured and it grows as it's tested by life experience. like I I grew in my confidence that that rope would hold me by getting on the rope and actually sliding down with that little pulley, pushing me down. Um, In the same way, our faith is grown and nurtured as it's tested by life experience. And when I say life experience, in particular, I'm talking about the difficult experiences of life. Now, there's a reason that I think that that's important for us, given our time and our context. And that is, as you well know we seem to be living in a time of increased turmoil, um, uncertainty. You just look at the paper, last two weeks, watch the stock market go down and up and down. And people aren't confident today. They're just not confident. I talked to my, my neighbor yesterday actually, it was the day before yesterday, and he said that his company is being dissolved. It's being dissolved, which means he's going to lose his job. No one wants to lose their job, but that's, that's kind of what's happening these days. Not just to lose your job and wonder where am I going to work in the future, but all the people that you have to leave behind that you like working with, the partnerships, the friendships. I talked to three people this la- the last week who shared with me that, um, well, just the deep emotional anguish of watching their grown children make bad decisions and go in directions that they didn't want to go, and it's, it's difficult for them. I could see it on their face. I could see that it was troublesome. And then I was just thinking about what's happened in the last three weeks in our own community. Um, there's been layers of tragedy. We've had everything from murder to suicide. And it just seems to me that we live in a time of increased uncertainty or uncertainty, um, of increased stress. Now, you know as well as I that, that the, um, the world in which we live in is uncertain. And yet at the same time, there are times where it seems to be more uncertain and more unstable. And I think there are people out here who feel that. There's a certain amount of fear that comes with that. There's a certain amount of stress that comes with that. And I would like to submit to you today that we are exactly where God wants us to be. We are exactly where God wants us to be. And I say that because of a perspective that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It is on the front or in that little worship folder you were given. It's one single verse, and in it we have a perspective on uncertain times, difficult times, stress, adversity, which I think the perspective is liberating. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to actually begin in verse 6. Peter has just laid out the great and certain living hope that we have that never Spoils, perishes, or fades. And after he has talked about this hope that cannot be taken away, he says this in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That is, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, namely in the great hope. But then he goes on to talk about what's going on in the present circumstances of their lives, namely that they are suffering grief in all kinds of trials. It's an interesting verse because you have joy and grief wedded together. That is, they are presently rejoicing because there's this hope that can't be taken away, that there is, for the Christian and the believer, there is a happily ever after that will come in which God will personally and tenderly dry every tear from from our eyes, a time in which we will see Christ face to face, a time in which there will be no more uncertainties, and that hope that's certain and living, that will never fade away, that's kept for us, allows us to rejoice in the present. I mean, if you know the best is yet to come, you can still rejoice. And yet at the same time, that doesn't negate that we feel grief, and we feel a sense of suffering amidst that joy. And that's what Peter's talking about. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of, of trials. All kinds, meaning everything. It's all inclusive. It goes from marital trials to financial struggles, from physical struggles to emotional struggles. I mean, it covers everything that a person can possibly go through. But verse 7 provides the, 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 the perspective If he is acknowledging they are going through difficult times, verse 7 provides this perspective. He, He goes on and says this. He says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The first part of the perspective of that verse has to do with sovereign purpose of life and circumstances. When he says, now these have come, he's talking about all kinds of trials, these have come so that, that's that's design language, that's intention language, that means there's purpose in these all kinds of trials in the life of God's people. There's purpose in it. Ultimately, there—it it is not a random fact, it is not an aberration of coincidence that you go through difficult times. But rather, it says there that these have come so that... In other words, there's purpose when you feel that way. There's purpose in suffering grief. And many of the ancients who believed, men and women, understood this. That the ultimate controller of everything, including the, the financial markets and one's jobs and your marriage and kids, the hearts of our kids... The ultimate one who controls that is in heaven. And he has purposes in all of that. Job, for example. I mean, God dumped a ton of various kinds of trials on his life. And yet, what did he say? He said, and we sing this. We sing, the Lord gave... And the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, he understood the behind all of the grief and the difficulties and trials of life, the waywardness of people that you love. He understood that the Lord gave and the Lord takes away, that ultimately God is behind it. And that's part of perspective, is to recognize what the world around us doesn't recognize, and that is there's purpose in what's going on in your life, in the life of our community, and we can trust that God's at work. By the same token... If we leave it there, then God sounds a bit like a masochist. It's not just that he has purposes in it. He has a good purpose. And that brings the second perspective of that verse, namely the value, the priceless value of our faith, that God actually has something more important, more valuable to him than simply us being comfortable or having our world around us secure and certain, namely that our our, our faith be formed and grown. And that's what the text says. So that, so that these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which everybody considers worth something, but he's comparing our faith to gold or possessions or riches. and He says faith is far more important. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which, is, which perishes, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. You think, of, for, for, reflect for just a moment on, on how important your faith is. We, we take that word faith, personal trust and confidence in God's goodness and His power and His sovereignty. Think about how important that is to you, even in the context of 1 Peter. We find in verse 5 that it says that we are being kept by God's power. He's protecting us and shielding us through our faith. So in some sense, our faith is a means by which God protects us and shields us and keeps us. Down in verse 9, the word faith occurs again, and it tells us the goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. That makes this faith thing, this trusting, this confidence, personal confidence in the Lord, of ultimate value for us. It is of the uttermost importance that we have this thing called trust and faith. Without it, there is no salvation. So it's that part of us that God wants to develop. I mean, if it's that important to the Lord, it seems to me that our perspective, if it, if it has come from the Scripture, we should know that our faith is more important than our comfort. Our faith is more important than a drama-free life. To see in the drama of life and the difficulties and the intrigues that God is actually doing something. Because conflict, adversity will either shatter your faith, in which case it proves that it was never genuine to believe with, belief, or it proves that it's true, and then it works to work out the impurities of it, as as he says there, that uh, gold is refined by fire. So you have the perspective of divine sovereignty and the perspective of the pricelessness of our faith, and the last part brings it together, namely that to form our faith, God uses all kinds of trials. I mean... You know the metaphors. I mean, faith is forged in the fires. It's a hammered out on, on the anvil. It's it's It grows in the storms of life. Our, our, our faith, it doesn't seem generally, grows when everything around us is set. When you have plenty of money in the bank account, when you know that your retirement's going well, the car is running well, your family's doing well, your kids are doing great, the house is in great shape. When everything's perfect around you, faith tends not to grow. It grows stagnant. I came across this quote a while ago that, that has stuck with my mind and I want to leave it with you. And that is the quote, here's how it goes, it's that faith does not grow in the house of certainty. I had to think about that one over and over again. Faith does not grow in the house of certainty. By certainty, the quote means having a life that's perfectly laid out and secure Because that kind of certainty oftentimes breeds a sense of of um, self-sufficiency. It gets us to trust in the things around us rather than trust in the only true foundation of our soul and our life and our future, namely God. And so God will pull those things away in effort to get us to trust in Him. He pulls things away and, and, and brings adversity so that He can say to us, in effect, are you going to trust me with the heart of your children? Are are you going to trust me with your finances? Are you going to trust me with your future? Are you going to trust me with your health? Are you going to trust me even with your death, which is the final trial that all of us have to go through? Are you going to trust me? It's a kind of thing, this faith thing, that's different than theory, and you know this. Back to the rope thing. Again, I can know in my mind that I have a climbing rope called an apex rope made by New England Ropes. I know that it has a gravitational impact ratio of 2,113 pounds. That is, it will hold a small car. But simply knowing that fact, knowing the theory, and knowing how the rope has been tested in the laboratories, is different than me backing over a 160-foot cliff, entrusting my life to nothing more than a little piece of rope that's scarcely bigger than a piece of licorice. That requires you to put your life on the line. And so when God removes those things from us, or he brings those trials, he's working. And that's the encouraging part. That's encouraging for me, because we oftentimes think when um, when the trials come and everything kind of seems like it's going downhill and we're having difficulties, it's usually those times where we're thinking, Lord, where are you? Uh, Have you abandoned me? Have you forgotten me? Because all this bad stuff is happening in my life all at once. The irony, however, is that it's precisely when things aren't going well that God's doing some of his deepest work in your life. And to know that he is actually working on your faith and cares about you enough to develop and forge and nurture this thing called faith in us. And that's the encouraging part of living in a time in which there is uncertainty. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned us. Um, If there are difficulties in your life, they don't feel good, and this perspective doesn't take away the grief or the pain, but it does allow you the joy of knowing that God is deeply at work, that he hasn't abandoned us, and knowing that our Lord, our God, is moving amongst his people as he brings different things in, and that we can, in the end, trust him if he is all we have. And it's my prayer today that despite the uncertainties of life, that we will rejoice in the fact that our God loves us enough to care about our faith, and that knowing that, as we're in this park under the warmth of the sun, that we will rejoice and give thanks to our God who loves us and uses all things to the benefit and the good of his people who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. That wasn't too long, was it? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you again for your goodness, and I pray for those even now who are facing difficulties of every variety, and I pray that you would grant them a perspective to know that you are on the throne, to know also that you value our faith over our comfort, and ultimately you will use all things to form your people into those who trust you personally and confidently, depending each moment on who you are, your faithfulness and goodness. Thank you, Lord. We worship you and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.